Hello and welcome to History on the Dark Side. So sitting with me today, another friend of mine and another history nerd, it's Rick Owens. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today. In today's show, I kind of started with this thought process. It's taken a few twists and turns, and I'm hoping that Rick can kind of help me talk through my own thoughts a little bit. When I was a kid, I remember the very first thing I learned about, probably like in kindergarten, is, you know, the first Thanksgiving. You're making a turkey hat. I still make turkey hats with my kids. I remember making the vests out of the, yes. the garbage bags. Yes, the, the, paper, <laughs> the paper shopping bags. bags. Exactly. And so this is how I learn about Native Americans. Now, I grew up in, you know, Sacramento, so a more urban part of California. There's not a local tribal kind of influence really there in any kind of way. So the whole idea of uh, Indians, because that's what we called them back then, was, you know, almost like fiction or memory. It wasn't real to me because there wasn't anything like that around. And as I look back and think as I got from grade to grade to grade to grade, man, it's probably high school and it might be college before that first Thanksgiving kind of view of Native Americans ever changes for me, before I'm ever taught anything particularly different or even particularly more. I guess a little bit with Lewis and Clark. I think as I grew up, it was probably college before I took a different look at it. I grew up in a lot of very conservative environments, and it wasn't until college I questioned what I had been taught growing up. And I think it's weird for America in the grand scheme of the world and civilization. We're this super young country. You know, we've got 260 years of history or something. Egypt's got thousands. China's got thousands of years of history. And we're like a little baby on the planet. But there was people here long before um, the white people, the white man, the Europeans showed up. There was people here. And... So I guess one sort of side journey for today is why is that history not taught, not taught effectively? Why is that so mysterious? I think, I think the hardest part of that is to scientists are still wondering or debating, not wondering, but debating where and when they truly did come. Was it 10,000 years ago when they came across the Bering Land Bridge? Uh, around the Ice Age period? Was it a million years ago? Or was it just a few hundred years ago? And that debate is still out there among some people. And I know there's that thought, and I think it's a realistic thing to ponder. However, those first people came to what is America, was that it? Or are there other groups throughout history who have come and added to it, been assimilated into it, been beaten back by it? I mean... It seems crazy me, to me to think that there's just thousands of years where no one else ever came here, even with some of the primitive maritime technology. Because we've got island people, you know, in the South Pacific that are going hundreds and sometimes thousands of miles in very primitive boats. So I wonder if 
that's kind of a piece of the history that we, we don't know much about either. Uh, as I teach my class to my students, we talk about how man really showed up on the planet about four, 4.5 million years ago. And at what level were they and how much did they evolve over time? And as we teach it, we show that they did show up to those island areas around 45 to 65,000 years ago. Uh, but the research shows right now that they didn't come to the Americas until about 10 to 12,000 years ago. And technology is a big difference maker. When we grew up, we're not doing DNA researches regarding Native Americans or anybody else. That's a pipe dream technology back then. Yes. And I'm sure that has a big impact on exploding some theories that we probably have held to and, and developing new ones. It's funny how technology will do that sort of thing. So I think about, you know, history with Native Americans for me started in 16, what is it, what's the Pilgrims? 1620. 1620. But those interactions start way before that. I mean, for me also, the Pilgrims were America. And I think we do a better job now of talking about Jamestown in Virginia, which is many years earlier, 15, 20 years sooner. But I learned, hey, it started there. Religious pilgrims came seeking freedom. They happened upon some natives. They worked together, had this lovely feast. And then at some point later on, things must have gone awry. But man, that was the start of America right there. So that's what I learned. How about you, Rick? I think it goes back just a little bit, a few years before that, when the first group of settlers came from, from Europe to Jamestown and Roanoke. Um, I have been to Plymouth, so in the 1620s when the pilgrims did, did show there, but my thinking goes back just a little bit a few years before when they arrived in Jamestown and Roanoke. So as I've learned more, and if you're a teacher and a good one, you're always trying to learn more because you want to teach things that are correct. You, you want to know more than your students. That's a big problem if you don't. <laughs> well, and as much as we say that history doesn't change, history does change. It changes based on the information we have, the data we collect, and as science changes and we're able to discover new things, history does change some. So as I'm looking at this connections and these first encounters with Indians and and just to be clear like in Roanoke they're bad prevailing theory is Native Americans just wiped out those settlers maybe there are some other factors with weather or there's a big drought around that time that's or just disease. ending but sort of feel like they probably got wiped out and there was probably some man-made help in that utter destruction of that colony of town and even Jamestown, I mean, there's conflict. There's, you know, we've got Disney, Pocahontas, and we're all friendly. We're singing to the blue corn moon. <laughs> <laughs> That's not real. There is abject animosity pretty much from the get-go. And I, I suggest that the main reason Virginia survived as a colony is because they just kept sending ships full of more people. And eventually, the, you know, the team with the most people wins. And these Somebody boats survived. kept coming. Somebody survived, finally. So, 
I found this little connection. It's my Squanto rabbit hole. Okay, I talk very little, but I do mention Squanto when I'm talking about the pilgrims and that first Thanksgiving and trying to, you know, show a broader picture than what I had as a kid. And it seems pretty clear historically, everybody's fine that Squanto's there, Squanto's involved with that interaction with those early pilgrims. That doesn't seem to be disputed. Um, what he does after that and what becomes a Squanto and his motives is definitely disputed. But I ran across some information that suggested that our friend John Smith from Jamestown, who, hey, if you want to eat, you better work. And that's what saved the colony, that John Smith, after Jamestown gets a little more established, he's sailing up the coast exploring with other people, with other boats, but he's leading that expedition. And he runs across our friend Squanto, along with some other people. And apparently, unbeknownst to John Smith, who found him, and in some accounts even met Squanto, his underling, uh, something hunts, Daniel Hunt, I think it is, kidnaps Squanto along with some of his associates from the tribe there, and they end up in Europe. And here my troubles begin. Either he took them to Spain and sold them as slaves, or he took them to Spain to attempt to sell them as slaves, and a group of friars intervened to help save Squanto, both physically and religiously, or he never went to Spain at all and was just in England, or he was in Spain but found his own way to England very quickly. Oh my goodness, this thing goes 22 ways out of control. And as I've tried to dig around, and I come across all these varying details, I think I fell victim to something that's a problem for history, buffs and historians. There's a part of me that really wants John Smith and Squanto to be linked in between Jamestown and the Mayflower. Because if, if Squanto's in involved with both of those things, that's truly amazing. And whether you think that's coincidence or providence or anything else, that's amazing. But if Squanto and John Smith have some part to play in both of those colonies, you can't make that up. That's the truth being stranger than fiction. And I felt like I started looking for that instead of just looking around. I wonder when you come across something in history that gets you motivated, that gets you interested, do you ever fall victim to looking for the outcome you kind of hope it is? I'd say yeah. I think we, we all do that. We, we want to look at who people are, and we've been raised for so long thinking that a certain group of people were so good or a certain per group of people were so bad. And when we find a different answer. I've, I've found myself maybe heartbroken or to say, oh, I thought this person was such a great person and yeah. maybe they really weren't. Yeah. And it's, it's a difficult challenge, but I guess it's, you know, why they pay us to do what we do and they don't pay us much. Don't, don't become a history teacher if you want to be rich. But if you love history, it's great. <laughs> but we but we find ourselves putting somebody up 
on a high horse and we learn maybe they weren't all that great of a person. But I also think that we need to look at those people and say, whether or not everything they did was good, or maybe what some things that they did were bad, we can't erase what they did. And we've got to look at, this is the time they were in, this is what they knew and understood, and we can't dismiss the great things that some people have done just because maybe they did something bad or something that we consider today bad that wasn't considered bad back then. And right. we can't take away the historic contributions that those people have made. I talk in, in class and in these podcasts all the time about how history is messy because people are messy. And it's curious to me how we, we always kind of pick and choose what we want to learn, study, repeat about people, completely ignoring the fact that all of us are messy too. We all have these failings, and I know I have stuff I'm not super proud of. I mean, I've probably done three of those things so far today <laughs> that I wish would be different. Why don't we look at historical figures and events through that kind of a lens and... I don't know, might make it easier on how we treat ourselves. Because, man, we don't just hold history to that kind of all-or-nothing, good-or-bad standard. I think that's a reflection of how we try and hold ourselves. That'll be in the next Psychology Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My hope is that I can take what I've done good and that the good that I've done can outweigh the bad that I've done. We all make mistakes. We've all done things we're not proud of. But hopefully the good that I do can outweigh the bad, and that I'll be blessed for that in the end. And, you know, I was joking about, you know, don't be a teacher if you want to be rich. So I think I speak for most teachers when I go, you know, when you have a lesson and you have a kid and something goes well, and sometimes you don't even know it, but one of these kids comes back years, months, whenever later and says, hey, you really made an impact on me, or I really remember this lesson. You know, that's why we do what we do for those little moments. Sometimes it happens right there and you see the little light bulb turn on. And I had a student contact me 12 years later and said, you made such a difference in my life based on the things that you taught me and I learned from that. So teaching can be rewarding. Teaching can be hard, but it can be rewarding and teaching can be messy. And if we only thought of the struggles we have with dealing with kids or whatever, well, man, I wouldn't teach if I only focused on the bad. Forget this thing. I'll go do something else. So I guess there's two main things left to talk about in this episode. One, I want to go over what the actual history of dealings with Native Americans and Europeans and Native Americans in themselves what that actually looks like as opposed to what we were taught as kids, what history used to put out there, um, at least for us as young Americans in grade school. And then I want to talk about some of the why that history is so very one-sided. So I guess I think I have an answer for that one, but <laughs> we'll go away on that one because <laughs> history is told by the winners. <laughs> and I agree with that 100%. But I have some other thoughts that might add to that, too. But let's talk about the what first. So 
I feel like for a lot of the world, even today, um, there's lots of organizations and groups, environmental organizations, really put Native Americans on this pedestal that, you know, they better knew how to deal with the earth and respect the earth and its resources than this evil capitalist, um, European, whatever, whatever they don't like about in the today's world. And I think some of that's true, but I think they very often take that one thing, that one relationship that might have been good with the environment and how they dealt with it and make all of Native American culture somehow superior, better, more enlightened than anything else we have today. Like, it, because they did this one thing right, they must do everything right. Or, I don't know. I'm, I'm did just they not have about, conflict between each other? Well, yes. <laughs> but I never knew about that. I surely was never taught that. I thought, and if did you grow up and play Cowboys and Indians? I did. Me too. I, we never played Cowboys and Cherokee or Cowboys and Sioux or just Cowboys and Iroquois. You played Cowboys and Indians. Like, they're all one team. And if you look at the Native American world today, in America, we're talking about hundreds of specifically identified and self-identifying tribes, and they, they're nations, legally, and in every other you know, common usage of that word, they are separate nations. Well, I would compare that to, we talk about Europe, the mm -hmm. Europeans, but the Europeans are not just one group of people. You have your British, you have your Spanish, you have your French, you have your Germans. It's just like that in the Americas. You have all those different tribes of people living and trying to live together and hopefully get along. But as we saw in Europe, the people don't always get along. Right. Just like the Native American tribes or the Indians didn't always get along. They did have their conflicts with one another. And some of those conflicts are actually over natural resources. Because no matter how much you love the earth, if you have a larger population base, you need more of it to support that. And that's true in every country, every continent, every time period. You've got to have enough resources to support your population. And if you don't, you will have conflict, either internally, externally, or both. Could that be a part of the issue? You have these tribes of Indians or Native Americans, whatever we're going to refer to them as, who are growing crops and taking care of the land and they can sustain their population and as you have a new group who comes in that land can no longer sustain the amount of people who are there absolutely absolutely i mean there's a lot of those early americans they're not even americans yet but those early colonists are learning agricultural techniques because the weather the climate the crops are different than that is in their native countries or England, wherever they're from. And that can work if you're trying to emulate the population base and the style of living that the natives had, which, as it turns out, isn't always the case. So there's some inherent problems even when things get along, because you're training somebody to do what you do, but they're only doing what you do in that one aspect of their life. Everything else they do, religion, population, how close people live together, how they're grouped together, what they do when they are together, it's all different. Well, the way that they hunted for food, too. 
You have the Indians who hunted with bow and arrow, and you have the white man come in who's hunting with guns. That certainly changes how you're going to live off the land and how sustainable it is. Right. So that's yet another of the constant you have, drum of technology making a difference. You have Native Americans who hunted for survival, and even some of those early colonists hunted for game. They went out and they shot and killed and left. They didn't use it for sustainability. So I was, I was just down the hall talking to Jeff before we started this, and we're talking about that first Thanksgiving, and you know how, hey, here's our friend Squanto. But that the, the Native Americans then, with the pilgrims, they came together, yes, because there's another Native tribe, and the one that the pilgrims come together with is so decimated that without some support, they're going to get wiped out by another tribe. So this alliance where, yes, they traded some technology and agriculture and they traded friendship and uh, trade agreements. It's based primarily on this existential threat of we're going to get wiped out by yet another native tribe. So we better find an ally somewhere. And hey, these guys have guns. That ain't a bad deal. But that's not the story we were taught. No! The story no. we were taught is <laughs> the pilgrims came in, they were suffering from this first winter, and the Indians, yep. not a tribe, the Indians came together and helped them. You don't hear the story of, well, this tribe was fighting this tribe, and they geared up with the pilgrims in order to survive themselves. You hear that the pilgrims were suffering, the Indians came in and helped them, not just a single tribe. And as we move on in history, you know, once we get past the Appalachians and we get into the French and Indian War and the Ohio Territory, oh my goodness, you've got all these various tribes who already live there. And they all see the writing on the wall, that whether it's the English moving west or the French moving south or somebody new, trouble's coming. And they have to pick a side. And they all pick sides mostly based on conflicts that already existed for sometimes hundreds of years with other tribes. It was the, the enemy, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, you bring up the French and Indian War, and why did this tribe side with the French versus the British? And it was the Indians, the Native Americans believed, this group believed if they sided with the French, they were going to get their lives back to the way it was versus the expansion of the the... British coming across. But we see how, and this is going to be a weird time, okay? It reminds me of rap music. <laughs> All right? Like, rap music, it, it started as fun and party rap, and then we got this whole gangster thing when we were kids. That's doing well. That seems to be more where a lot of rap and hip-hop still is today. And within that culture... So much of what they do is based on beefs. This rapper is going to talk a bunch of junk in song, in rap, about this other one. And they go back and forth. And the history of rap is filled with not only these beefs, but like real life people getting shot and killed over. It's this huge thing. People are choosing sides and they're fighting each other. And you don't just, you know, go from well, this is my favorite rapper, and I like this style on, you know, East Coast or West Coast, and then suddenly wake up and go, no, I'm going to roll the other way today. There's too much has happened for that 
to go backwards and, and be redone. To just ignore all the conflict that was there before. And it's like Palestine and Israel, right? Mm -hmm. They got beefs that go back at least, you, you can choose. They go back either thousands of years or to, you know, 1918. Doesn't matter. Either way, the people who hate each other right now hate each other for reasons that only their grandparents or great-grandparents had first-hand knowledge of, mostly. It's these inherited beefs. And I think of how that affected interactions between Native Americans and each other and white settlers when they start picking sides. Because, yeah, you might want to pick a side to keep life the way it was. I would imagine a lot of those tribes realized life the way it was is gone anyway. Because life the way it was was without any of these people. We have to adapt somehow. And, you know, you want to pick a winner. It's like Italy, World War I. Yeah, we're going to go this route. Oh, never mind. Now we're switching to going this route. You want to be on the winning side. That's another nobody wants to be a, Nobody history. wants to be a loser. Right? <laughs> so why don't we get more of the native side of the story? When we look at these histories, we can look back and get some reasonable information about the ancient Greeks and about the ancient Romans. And we have lots of details. We have libraries of information we can draw from there. But that type of um, scholarly deposit box, that type of bank of information, we really don't have in Native American culture. What are your thoughts on that? Well, as I said earlier, history is often written by the winner, and at least in my opinion, such a huge group of Native Americans were wiped out, they didn't have that opportunity to write their side of the story. And even when that side of the story is written, it's often covered up. I believe that we cover up the bad in our history because we just want people to look at the good. We won the war. We believe that what we were doing is right, even though some of what we did was wrong, and we want to cover up that wrong. And so we do everything we can to hide the unmentionable stuff. So if, if we as descendants from Europeans are the winners and we control history, do you feel like we hide some of what we've dealt with with Native Americans? Do you feel like we demonize them because we're the winners and we therefore need to make them the losers? I think what? we do. I do. I think we do take that. We don't want to be looking bad. We want to make it look like what we did was right and what we did was necessary. And so we do. We demonize the things that they did in order to make ourselves look good. <clears throat> So in that context, how do we have Pocahontas, Sacagawea? How do we have these Native American heroes, and they're few, that we hold up and, oh, you know, let's make a Disney movie about this. Do we tell the whole story, though? Oh, no, no, not I mean, at all. Look, look at Pocahontas. We look at her as maybe saving John Smith's life, and how many Americans believe that John Smith married Pocahontas, and we know that's not true. But we don't tell the story of what happened to Pocahontas when she went back to Europe. We don't mention she's like 12 either. Somehow. <laughs> we, <don't. laughs> we, we cover up the bad parts and we pick out those good things or what we believe is good anyway. Because 
I don't know that I completely agree with what Europeans did to the Indians when they came in and took over the land and killed many of them and slaughtered many of them. I look at the Trail of Tears and everything we did to them, but we don't focus on the bad we did, we focus on the bad that they did. Another thing that I thought about is how disease wiped out so much of the native populations, up to 90%. That always made me think, you know, when 90% of your people die, one, that's kind of an average, that's up to, and that's not every single tribe lost exactly 90% at this exact same time frame. Diseases hit natives in waves and different locations at different times. Disease is a huge part of my Squanto rabbit hole. He's the last person in his village when he comes back from England, however he got there. Nobody's left but him. They've all died, they think, by either tuberculosis or smallpox or both, and he's it. And I wonder, when you have a, a culture that bases its history in a non-written tradition, and most Native Americans, that's what you have. You have storytellers. You have your medicine men, your wise men, whatever they call them, depending on the tribe, the chiefs, their job, I think, is similar to ours, you know, to, to learn what you can and to disseminate that information, to share it within the tribe. When disease comes by and kills a percentage of your population, I don't think it's like the angel of death and the Israelites. It goes, well, we will kill all but the storytellers. We will kill all but the medicine men. When you have an oral tradition, and that guy or that woman dies, how much do you lose? I think of, I think of it back to the telephone game. If you've ever played the telephone game as a kid, where one person tells the story and then that person tells the story to the next, if you have that main storyteller who has prepared his life to pass on those stories, if he dies and he hasn't passed on those stories yet, we do the best we can to pass on the truth but when it's an oral tradition, when it's passed on verbally, and the next generation hasn't learned those stories yet, those stories could disappear. And this is such a huge difference in Western culture and in Native American culture. Because when we want to learn about Plato, we can read the books he wrote. They exist. His actual words are still tangibly evident somewhere. They might have been translated. Latin's not the most common language anymore. You know, Greek's not the most common language. But we still have that. For Native Americans, they not only lost their storytellers, but when I think of them as people now, they lost much of their history. We get to pick and choose ours. I wonder if you're Native, how much of your own history you just don't have because that oral tradition was lost. How does that affect you? I question it too. We see throughout history when the winners come in, they oftentimes destroy the records yeah. of the other people too. Maybe there was more written record than we know because there are stories of people who live in the Americas that had written records. Were those records destroyed when the other people came in? Because we do see that throughout history that written records are destroyed when another group comes in and overtakes them. Right. 
I think it's easier to hide a book than to hide the storyteller, though. I just keep getting hung up on that oral tradition and what a huge, I can't even fathom the impact of that if I was trying to think back on my own people, my history, going back to, you know, my people are from England, Scotland, whatever. I got to go back a whole bunch of generations to get there. But if all I had to base that on was an oral tradition and I wasn't close to my family, what do I have? It's a, it's a problem because of this. If you don't know your history or you can't find out about your history, then I think people tend to not know what they are, not know who they are, and they're reaching and struggling and searching for that. I think history, forget his teachings as a subject, as a person, is so meaningful. When I think and hear those stories about kids that are adopted, and they turn 18, and they're just like, you know, I think I want to find out. I want to find oh my. <laughs> my parents. And sometimes that's great. It's a person who turned out good, was good at the time, and there were circumstances. And sometimes it's a really bad person. And you're, on the outside, you're like, geez, thank goodness you got adopted. <laughs> I don't think it matters that much to the person searching what they find out. And the limited experience I have with this, there's some peace in knowing. And knowing your own history. Well, if you knew you came from a bad past, you become become grateful for the people who took you in and the people who gave you that better life. But I think writing, I think this is where it comes to the importance of journal keeping and diary keeping and writing down your history as an individual. I know myself this summer I went on a trip with my family, but my dad came along too. And I learned many stories about my dad and the things that he did while he was in the military that I never knew before because he'd never had that opportunity to tell me and he hadn't written it down. And if I hadn't had this trip with him, what kind of history would have been lost because he hadn't told me that yet? Yeah. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast. Right? So I was married once that I had a wife who died of cancer. And she was a big-time journaler. So there's lots of written record for her, too. But I will still tell a story once in a while, especially to my younger children, about me and her and the older kids. And once in a while, they're like, whoa, I didn't know that. I've never heard that before. And I think of how powerful those stories are to them in trying to come to terms with their identity with a mom that they you know, can't just go talk to anymore, but certainly has a huge part in how and who they are. Well, at any rate, I guess we're about to the end of our, our road here today. Um, sort of in closing, I think I'd be so interested if we ran across some trove of ancient written records or from any, any tribe in the Americas, how interested would I be in seeing that history and learning what those words were and learning how those people interacted from them? The more I go down the rabbit hole of people like Squanto or other interactions and see how different the uh, conflict and the interaction between native people and colonists was throughout history all the way to today, the more interested I become in their history. And I think there's, uh, 
this shared longing for more. It's something that kind of drives me to want to learn as much as I can. And I hope it's something that I can use to make the kids see the humanity in colonist or native people. That these aren't stories and these aren't just faceless, nameless, you know, peoples. This isn't a video game that when we talk about history, we're talking about families, we're talking about fathers and sons and dads and moms and sicknesses and pandemics and boy, don't we live in a time where those stories, even though they're hundreds of years old, can teach us some real lessons. I mean, the, the native people went through some things much, much more deadly than what we're facing right now. But I bet there's lessons there if we can only find the history to learn from them. It'd be interesting to find their side of the story, too. Yeah. We, we don't see their side and what they saw happening in general. We see it from one point of view. So as you think about these things or anything else, let's just end on that one point of view. If it's worth getting your attention, if it makes you stop and think at all, take the time to look up and research from as many angles as you can. Gaining perspective never diminishes knowledge. It can only help. And there's a million things in this world, there's a million things in history that are going to stay messy, that are going to stay unsolved. There's a lot of rabbit holes. I don't ever feel like it's a waste of time to start searching and do some research and try and find out for yourself. I guess that'll do it for this one. We'll see you next time on History on the Dark Side.